0: Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Alexis Nunez of ESPN. We've had some great guests lately, including Peter Schmeichel, Andy Markovitz, and John Champion. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. You can binge all eight episodes to your heart's content. But let's start this episode with an audio column. Here we go. For the first time ever, two U.S. internationals are going to be in the men's UEFA Champions League final. On Tuesday, backup goalkeeper Zach Steffen made it with Manchester City, and on Wednesday, winger Christian Pulisic reached the final with Chelsea. And he did it in style, too, coming on late, showing poise in the box, and delivering a pinpoint assist on the goal that sealed the doom of none other than Real Madrid. Nor was Pulisic a bit player in Chelsea's triumph, having scored the goal that got things going for the Blues in the first leg. We have been waiting decades now for the first genuine U.S. men's soccer superstar, which I consider to be one of the best players on a team that can win the Champions League. And in Pulisic, we may finally have one. His overall season with Chelsea has been up and down and stymied by injuries. But the 22-year-old Polisic has shown a steely resolve in recent weeks, first to win the trust of head coach Thomas Tuchel to start him, and now to produce goals and assists in the planet's most important club games. Polisic has earned the number 10 jersey for Chelsea, the number usually given to a club's most creative player, and now he's backing it up. He's a joy to watch a swashbuckling attacker who slips like an eel through defenders and finds his teammates in deadly spots. If he's healthy, I think Pulisic will start in the Champions League final. And in that game, he'll have the chance to make history again, not just as the first U.S. international to play in a men's Champions League final, but as the first to be the best player in that game on the winning team. Our guest now is a friend of mine who has been a fixture on ESPN soccer and cricket coverage. Alexis Nunez is based in London these days, and you can see her on ESPN FC, also interviewing big names like Erling Haaland and hosting coverage on site from big games. Alexis, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, honestly, for having me. I was saying I feel so inadequate coming on because, you know, you're talking to... Peter Schmeichel and the like, and then (laughs) there's me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am thrilled to have you on the show, and not just because you're connected with Man United as well. I know you're a Man United fan, uh, in addition to all the other terrific coverage that you do. Um, I want to start by asking you, you're living in ground zero right now for world football in London, I think. You know, we've got some of the biggest games of the European season happening. We've got massive protests over the Super League going on in England and and huge games like Man United-Liverpool being postponed as a result in what is also still a pandemic, by the way. What's it like being on the ground there in England right now, being a football journalist in the middle of all this?
1: Um, Honestly, it's actually, it's a bit weird. I say like bittersweet as well, almost in the sense that sweet because All this is going on and you feel like, yes, I'm on the right place at the right time. But then, like I say, a bit bitter because you're still kind of the world isn't 100 percent open up because this is still very much a pandemic, you know, and there's still limitations um, that are out there. For example, you know, you can't really travel as freely. You can't travel at least the UK laws. You can't travel overseas unless it's absolutely for work and you can't even travel if I wanted to go to Manchester and just stay in a hotel I actually have to get a written letter from my job that says I am actually there so I can't even just go and you know blag my way in um just to say as much as I wanted to I had so many friends that were like oh are you gonna go to the United protesting And I was like first of all I'd like to keep my job second of all <laughs> I don't know how that would ESPN journalist joins <laughs> Old Trafford protests you know um so I was like, first of all, no. And even if, you know, there, I wanted to go, but if ESPN aren't sending me, I actually couldn't readily get a hotel easily in Manchester because they're not allowed to take any bookings until I believe after, we're talking June. I think some may open up May 17th, but still mainly for business travelers. But we're talking June 21st is this magical date that the government has put into place as to when all limitations should be off it's still a bit ambitious because as you know you look at the situation in india and you realize that the pandemic is still very much a thing so it's um it's exciting being around it because there's so many other like avenues that you could tune into to see coverage of these things and you at least feel like you are in the right time zone for anything that's popping apart from the whole european super league that popped at like almost 1 a.m our time and i was like what is going on I, i'm already a late nighter and i go to bed pretty late honestly like 12:30, 1 o'clock easily and even then i was like lord i just want to go to sleep and news is popping um but it is it's a very exciting time but you still you still feel like you are right where you should be but you're not sure of what move to make just because again everyone is of course still trying to be super safe you know and we are, of course, dealing with, with some big names in the sporting world. And last thing you want to do is be that journalist that, you know, get someone testing positive for COVID or anything. You know, that's that's even more shocking and, and terrifying, really, as well. Um, and then you think of yourself as well. Like I've not been home in one and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as I want to go out there for the good of journalism and, and the love of the sport, you know, I still do want to be safe because I want to know that once the borders open up and I can fly back to Jamaica, um, I'm at least in the best health and best position to not put my family there at risk. So it is a bittersweet time, a very interesting time. But I think it's something or it's a time that obviously so many of us around the world are, are kind of experiencing and trying to make sense of at the same time.
0: Yeah, I don't even know if All Americans realize that the UK just came out of a serious lockdown fairly recently. So you've just had that and... What are you able to do work-wise during this stretch? Like, we know what you can't do based on what you just said. Like, what are you able to do?
1: Well, we're still pretty much able to to, to work from home. Um, for example, next week at the time of obviously us recording now it will be the FA Cup final. Um, and ESPN, we are broadcast rights holders for the US and the Caribbean. So we will be there pitch side. But again, for example, last weekend or the weekend before, rather, we did um, – the League Cup final. So the Carabao Cup final. And there came like a whole, a week before everything came a whole other set of instructions. You have to get what they call the rapid lateral flow testing here now, um, which is COVID testing that you do at home. Um, And then you can only get them, you access them through the government website, the NHS here, and they ship them to you. So they ship them, I think in one or two days, mine came quite quickly. I think it was just overnight. Um, And then you have to do that test. And when you do the test, you have to register. Each test comes with a serial number. You have to register that on the website after. And then upon arriving to Wembley, um, we get a text message or an email that shows so-and-so has recorded a negative test. Um, and then you have to show that. And then you go through all the other temperature checks, et cetera, at the ground. So it was, um, it is a lot of... Different loopholes that you have to jump through and, and, you know, protocol just to get inside Wembley. And for example, Carabao Cup final as well, we couldn't even, we really didn't even have access to the players. You know, um, now you see even the domestic broadcast rights holders here in the UK who you think obviously get first dibs they now can't even do a face-to-face chat with Pep Guardiola you know the the journalist actually has to stay in a different room and it's almost like how we're talking now over like FaceTime through a TV monitor and they're the only ones that say get to do that so this was the first year that we had um, no halftime show either usually we do a halftime show but you can't or any post match with the players you just see them from a million feet away lifting the trophy and you just know you can't get anywhere near them (laughs) either so it's you can still do a lot like we're still being able to attend certain matches, but it is yeah. very limited. Obviously, you can't have a packed media box anymore. Mm-hmm. So you they obviously have to, you know, limit it down to those that have priority. For example, rights holders. So even Premier League matches, that's why we we don't get to go to all of them week in, week out as much as they'd want us to, I'm sure, and vice versa. But now it's given literally priority to only rights holders and then whomever else they can squeeze in. The media box as well is interesting because it's no longer a media box. Like even our stands, our seats were actually in the stands or what would Mm -hmm. normally be the stands. They're actually the club box seats like for Mm -hmm. Wembley. So they're quite nice seats, I must say. So I was happy with that. (laughs) But then the written journalists such as yourself, you know, they get dibs on the actual media box that have the plugs, Mm -hmm. you know, and and where to put your laptop in. But for us broadcast, um, yeah, we just kind of had to sit like two seats apart. I was there with um And we were talking through the game because it was a a good game, of course, between Spurs and City. And (laughs) it was funny because I felt like I had to shout to him. I was like, wow, (laughs) did you see that, (laughs) Nadam? And then he was like shouting back to me too. Even though it was an empty stadium, we were so far, yet we were sat beside each other. But we were two of these big seats apart. And it's funny because the second half, we got tired of shouting to each other. We just were texting on WhatsApp even though we're literally two (laughs) seats apart so it's (laughs) it's very interesting times you know but it's funny to see how the world has adapted um but they're obviously I I can't wait for things to just be a bit more normal again it's still getting some getting taking some getting used to um especially with such limited access to the players and whatnot as well but hopefully we do um get there a lot sooner than later
0: (laughs) I'm waiting for the moment when either Pep Guardiola or some other manager is doing a remote interview and doesn't like a question. And then mysteriously, the remote connection goes away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's coming. They have like full power to do that now. And nobody has to. um, I think the media managers and clubs must be the happiest during this time, because (laughs) now they just they just they just don't really have to, I suppose, um, deal with all the stress that comes from inviting a whole camera crew onto your grounds and you know when you're there as you said they they can't really run but i think he's like oh wow that connection dropped what happened there
0: (laughs) so we're coming out with this podcast episode on thursday but we're recording this on wednesday before chelsea's champions league game against real madrid but no matter what happens for Chelsea they've clearly been a much better team since Thomas Tuchel came in what's your sense of Tuchel and what he's done to upgrade things at Chelsea
1: honestly oh this is um this is an interesting one i have a really good friend of mine here who is a die hard chelsea fan i mean like will go outside stamford bridge and set off flares kind of <laughs> chelsea boy through and through pretty much and I remember I got to interview Frank Lampard last year when Chelsea knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup. And um, it was absolutely, I absolutely loved Frank Lampard. I even loved Frank Lampard as a manager. And I know it's because we were, some of us are in love with the fact that it's finally my generation that now you're seeing the likes of, players that I actually got to see playing and follow. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, you see Mikel Arteta as well at Arsenal, Frank Lampard when he was at Chelsea. It's interesting to finally see them in managerial positions. And, you know, everyone at the start kind of was lambasting them like for, oh, you're only going to wear track suits. You're not going to have the Fergie or Jose Mourinho coats, you know. And it was like a nice breath of fresh air. You know, managers now as a journalist kind of felt more approachable, at least mm-hmm. for people like my age. I didn't feel like I was having to come with my best like Queens English just to talk you know to a manager you could actually reason you could banter with him a bit and Frank Lampard I think was just one of the realest like he always he said what was on his mind but you know he said it in in you still respected him but it wasn't that terrifyingly intimidating way that sometimes some other managers do it and you feel like is my granddad scolding me right now? Should I just retreat a little bit? You know, it was actually good. And so I honestly, even though, as you've said, I am a massive Man United fan. Obviously, I have nothing against Chelsea. It's not the biggest rivalry between the two. Um, But I was devastated when they sacked Frank Lampard. And I was full-on ready to go outside of Stamford Bridge and set off flares as well with my friend just to stand in solidarity for all the Chelsea fans that felt they did wrong. I thought he at least deserved to the end of the season, even though we know, <laughs> we know, A, that's a massive luxury in football today. And B, that's probably a luxury that doesn't even exist in Roman Abramovich's books anyway. So right. I guess it wasn't all um, shocking. And it was funny because there was, um, I live 10 minutes, five minutes away from Chelsea. So a lot mm-hmm. of the pubs that I go to are actually Chelsea pubs or either Chelsea pubs or Fulham pubs. And just from being around chelsea i i got a sense from like the fans and the supporters that were there week in week out that they when thomas tuchel came in they um it was a very he's definitely not one of our own and they were almost for example i take i tell you my friend he stopped watching chelsea what he st- he only was watching the women and he stopped watching chelsea and he was one of quite a few that genuinely stopped and he literally said I don't care if we win or lose this one. By then, obviously, Chelsea had already been going down a little bit. Mm-hmm. They had hit that dip and then Frank Lampard. But I just think it was um, a little bit of... The, they realized, they felt offended that Frank Lampard, who's a legend of the club, was treated that mm-hmm. way, even though now we know that clubs are businesses and that's how they're run. And if you want good results, then that's what's got to happen. But I think for that was the start of where... The emotions started boiling over where Europe, European Super League was the final straw, because I still uh-huh. think what I've learned about football here is that, yes, it's a business. Yes, people want to be rich enough to buy the biggest players in the world, but you, they are still massive respecters of tradition here, like massive, massive respecters. And I think that's why they kind of wanted Frank Lampard to be treated with more respect. Um, So I actually felt their devastation when he when he was sacked. But I kept telling people, you know, from everything I've known and and covered of Thomas Tuchel, he's like a he's like a nerd of the football game, you know, like that meticulous German kind of mad scientist kind of way. Like and I said, I feel like there's with that the only ways up. With Frank Lampard, there was a lot more of the personality in there and the romance attached to it. And that's where you heard, you know, certain people in the dressing room kicked up against it. But when you have someone like Thomas Tuco, who you really see is a nerd of the game, I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to come in and have an impact further than just the regular, what you expect when a new manager comes in. So everyone's trying to impress. Of course, you'll get a string of decent results because now look at Chelsea. They are a, a good night away from a Champions League final. And I don't think anybody would have picked this at the end of the, at the start of the season.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's really incredible what he's done. Um, in terms of the Premier League we know that Man City is is going to win the league. We know that Man United is probably going to finish second. Which teams do you see as getting third and fourth to get the Champions League spots?
1: Oh wow, that's a. I mean, this is an exciting league time, I suppose, in the Premier League, which is why everyone, I guess, says you know the Premier League's the best league because it has become probably a little too competitive for some, I guess some of us like man United fans that, you know, are so used to at least it being a certain top four and you almost can guarantee that yes, there'll be competition, but you fight to where you'll finish in the top four. Now it's like, geez, you have to fight where you'll finish at least in the top six or maybe the top 10. I mean, look at the resurgence of like West Ham. It's absolutely unreal. And honestly, like I say, even as a man United fan, I am absolutely here for that. Like, I wanted, and still kind of want, West Ham to finish in the top four. I, if David I have, Moyes! Yeah, if I have to go there. And I know, it's because it's kind of got like two of your exes in David Moyes. Jesse and Lingard. Then, you know, Jesse Lingard. But I i mean, I know Jesse, and I, am, I never doubted that he would bounce back like this. I know that there's a lot of... There's always a lot of hate to to, um, footballers or whatever that kind of have this big, bold personality, you know, Um, Jesse obviously being one of them and seeing how the media here covered him. It is absolutely shocking. I remember even I did an interview with Jesse last year and we went through all the plans and everybody's okay. You know, sometimes media managers, they ask you, you know, what you're going to ask. They brief them. We did the interview. We had about like 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes And we did it. And after it, I I was just like, cool, thanks, Jess. That's that's a wrap. And he literally looked at me and he was like, that's it. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and he just breathed like a huge sigh of relief. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, that was good. That was good, fam. And I was like, what did you think I was coming to like annihilate you? And that was that's how they have to be, you know, and it's kind of sad to see that. And I think now that obviously things are going better for Jess and he's come out and he's explained a lot of, you know, how his mental health was affected. I think um, it's good and it's bold for him to do that. And I think that he, I'm just glad because now we we were even having this debate about whether he should be on England's team for the year. As you know, England are spoilt for choice in many positions right now. And it's gotten to the point where so many of our analysts, at least on ESPN, some of the ones that you see in the media here say, absolutely, I think he's, made his point that you cannot not take him. And that's why I think there's a lot of heart following West Ham too, as as not necessarily underdogs, but like, again, as a Man United fan, you see David Moyes, obviously he wouldn't remember his time at United fondly, vice versa. But I don't think, I think after that, a lot of people doubted David Moyes and started questioning if he was the real deal. And for me, you saw what he was doing at Everton and he's a solid manager. And I think we now see how, it's so hard for a manager to even maintain some sort of consistent success for one, two, three seasons. But to do it as long as David Moyes did, that was like a air of Fergie and, and Wenger, you know, which is now impossible. And we don't know if we'll ever see that in football again, the way the world goes. So it's good to see them get a bit of um, redemption, I think, or just a little reminder to the world, like, hey, we're we're some serious, you know, people. So I know that West Ham now are just outside the top four, still, I think they'll be happy with a Europa League spot. I know that would mean unseating Chelsea and then holding off obviously the likes of Liverpool and Spurs and whatnot. But I think I would love to see some West Ham up in <laughs> Champions League next year. What come through West Ham, come through the hammers. So, um. We'll see, but other than that, I think I think it's I think Chelsea will will snag that top four spot. I mean, the way they're going, it's going to be hard to bet against them. Leicester obviously have fought well to not do a nosedive as they tend to do this time of the season, like last year. And I think they also are a real deal. Um, they're not just a one season kind of wonder anymore. I think they're it's more time to put some respect on their name, and that's why I think top four could probably will stay how it is. But if I had my way, I would squeeze West Ham up in somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. I'm really looking forward to the last few games of the season, the last few match days, to see who does get those top four spots. Um, I mentioned in the introduction that you do these terrific interviews of big name players, including a couple times now with Erling Holland from Borussia Dortmund. And I now call you the Holland Whisperer. <laughs> because he has shown many times with other interviewers that he can be a difficult interview and give these like one word responses sometimes and basically make it seem like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world, but Mm. not doing that interview. And yet you've gotten great stuff out of him in your interviews. How did you manage to do that?
1: Well, honestly, I mean, I I would say probably two things. I mean, it's funny that (laughs) i feel like i do enjoy talking to the younger ones a bit more (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's a compliment to my level of maturity or if it's an insult
0: (laughs) yes either way i'm gonna
1: take it (laughs) it's weird that i just vibe with the younger ones more than even the ones my age so um it's it's funny because you know Erling. sometimes I, i feel like he's he's already like five years younger than my baby brother and my baby brother will forever be my baby brother i don't even think anyone is younger than him, but here's Erling Haaland. But yeah, one thing I notice about him too, and, and I think people have to remember that these footballers, especially when you're someone like Erling Haaland, they're getting put up for interviews week in, week out. And it's the same kind of questions. And one of the things that I've learned, especially living on this side of the world, is that there is the way how westernized or say even American media is run is very different to how it is run here. You know, in obviously I'm Jamaican as well. And, you know, the Caribbean is big personalities. Then my mom's from El Salvador. So it's Latina Jamaican. So I have just personality. Um, And American media celebrates that, you know, they don't make you button up and kind of be very like old school, how you think you have to be. Um, I think that was that's one of the benefits of working somewhere at ESPN and being, you know, American media, because they do view you like that. And I think we always think of creative ways to do our interviews. And that's something that Erlin loves. I've learned that he loves these little games that we do. He is very competitive, like hella competitive. We do this fun game called like 60 second questions and see how many quick fire questions you can answer in 60 seconds. And I remember I did it with Robert Lewandowski just a few weeks before I did um, Erling Holland the first time. And I told him, I was just like, oh, we got through, I think, like 21 questions or so in in the because we throw in some hard questions, too, that we know is going to make them stop and be like, oh, hmm, <laughs> kind of when sometimes some little club versus country questions. So they do stop a little and are forced to think. And I was like, he got through 21 and he was like, in 60 seconds, he's like, I'm going to get 25. I was like, okay, wow. I was like, poor Lewis, probably sat at home, didn't even know that he was dragged into this little one-on-one question game with Erling Holland. But he looked at me and he was just like, I'm going to do this. And sometimes I stop and I laugh too, because there are funny answers, which he gave me. And I stopped and I laughed and he's like, no, 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 keep going. He's like, don't waste my time. I said 25 questions. And it was actually funny. So um, that brought out his personality. And I think as an interviewer, and you obviously as one that's a legend of it, Um, you'd know that you have to read your interviewee. You have to learn about their personality. We do research before, and then you're still almost doing research while the interview is going on, you know, and and you know, you get to have an idea of what they're like. So then the second time I did Erling, I was so much more relaxed because before even my boss called me before that we did the first one and he literally just said, good luck. He's like, honestly, I don't know (laughs) what to tell you to expect. You've seen his interview, so. Good luck. (laughs) And then after he sent me that email and he was like, wow, you really are the Holland Whisperer. Maybe you are, um, you know, a 19-year-old Norwegian kid at heart. And I was like, wow, uh, thanks.
0: (laughs) Take it as a compliment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's the thing. Sometimes you've just got to, um, yeah, take the time to to learn more about the person than just the name that you see on the pitch. And I think that that's something we did with Erling and um, we continue to do if we ever have him again. Um, and I think to just, yeah, remember that they are human, you know, they they get bored of the same questions. I get bored of asking the same questions, which is why we constantly think of bringing out personality a la the American style, you know, that we see so much in our American media, as opposed to what I see more here in Europe and where they constantly do refer to them in the third person, you know, not everyone loves it like that, Zlatan does. <laughs> You know, sometimes just treat him like a 19 year old Norwegian kid, you know, Um, find out the likes, like he loves hip hop music. He loves rapping, you know, throw that out there. I think uh, that's, that's at least a secret that I think works for me when you just genuinely treat them like another human being.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great advice for any of our listeners here. We have a lot of students who, who want to get into this business. So listen to Alexis. Let's take a quick break from our interview with Alexis Nunez, and I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga and France's Ligue 1, currently the best title races in Europe, and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis, and you can watch all the action from La Liga, Ligon, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, a tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch top leagues from Austria, Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, the women's soccer channel, ATA Football, Goal TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. And, and let's find out a little bit more about your background here. You're talking about getting to know the person a little bit. You're from Jamaica. You mentioned your mom's from El Salvador. Dad's from Jamaica. What's your story? How did you get into the media business?
1: Honestly, my dad is the one that made me fall in love with um, sports because my dad, he was the boss of the household. <laughs> he, and he always had one rule. And it was whenever we sit down, whenever we have dinner, Everybody has to sit down together. He doesn't care if you're hungry. He doesn't care if you had a snack five minutes before dinner. You are sitting down and you're clearing that plate. <laughs> and he, of course, like used to control what was on the television. And we could be watching cartoons from when we were little. And he would change it and be like, no, no, no. He's like, watch something with sense, at least for this next 30 minutes, hour, however long it takes to finish dinner. Um, and he would always change it to golf or, or cricket or football, obviously, if it was going on um tennis as well you know everything and then he'd end up staying late uh, staying up late to watch you know like the Aussie Open um as well as <laughs> people laugh when I say this but my brother and I got so into WWE wrestling like we used <laughs> to stay up to watch those cage fights that they would have between Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair nobody could tell me that that was acting I was like no don't lie to me but we used to love it we were mad team Hulk Hogan oh but when they would bring in the cage it was like oh, this is epic and my mom would be coming upstairs because it would be like 9 30 but we were young and she'd be telling my dad let them go to bed blah 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 watching this foolishness And we would be like, no, we want to watch this. And then after a while, I mean, he would take us to the games every time the reggae boys, Jamaica's national team football, you know, we'd have World Cup qualifiers. He would take us. um, So we'd watch those as well. Any CONCACAF games, to be honest, even friendlies, we'd go. Um, Cricket, he used to play cricket and he was a member of Kingston Cricket Club, which is um, Sabina Park is our main cricket stadium in Jamaica where the West Indies will play. Uh, So he would take us there, obviously, whenever the West Indies were playing, or even if it was just like local cricket as well. So after a while, I mean, I just learned the old, if you can't beat them, join them, you know? So I start asking questions. I'd be like, okay, Dad, well, how, you know, it's offside or how, you know, that's a wicket or which one's LBW, that kind of stuff. And then after that, it just slowly, or I would actually say quickly, I was the one that was staying up late to watch it. Cause I would say, all right, let me just see how this finishes, you know? And then yeah, like I said, the rest is literally history because I ended up studying media and communication, broadcast journalism. Um, at one point, I did want to be a filmmaker because I genuinely love like editing and putting together films. I've always done that since I was like young. I used to use um, Microsoft Movie Maker back in the good old days of Windows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, used to do that. Um, I used to like like graphic designing a bit. So I used to like make my own graphics for the title and the credits. Um I so I loved that. But then obviously I, I fell in love with sports more. So everyone was doing their investigative journalism pieces and dissertations in uni like on serious like societal issues in Jamaica and stuff. I went to the University of the West Indies in Jamaica and I was like doing it on squash. <laughs> Cause my, one of my best friends in Jamaica is like the number one player in squash. And he had won it like three times in a row, the all Caribbean competitions. And he just had gotten a scholarship. So I did something on squash. Then I did another one on the reggae boys, you know, <laughs> and everyone was like coming with serious, deep societal issues. And I was like, I'm just going to follow the reggae boys in these CONCACAF Calf qualifiers. That's going to be my dissertation. <laughs> But then, you don't need
0: to do investigative stuff to like do yeah. good, interesting work, as I'm sure you did.
1: Yeah, exa- and I mean, it is it is still that. There was investigative pieces, too, in a sense. But yeah, I just always knew I was going to do it on sports. And then I was lucky that I would say maybe three, four months after I graduated, I was just doing like an internship doing PR, funnily enough. Um, but they started a show in Jamaica called Sportsmax, which was a Caribbean channel um and they had the rights to the Premier league at the time and so they were trying to do a show around the coverage of the Premier league because at that point at least in Jamaica or in the Caribbean we didn't really have a only sports show you know there was radio stuff and then there was like the news break that you'd get to see but there was no actual talk show no you know kind of mic and mic or something like that where you actually could have conversation it was just reading say Manchester United beat Liverpool two goals to one so and so scored that's it um So they wanted to start their first kind of talk show. So I went and I did an audition for that because they wanted someone to read kind of like the news bulletins on the side, like the little sports center updates that come up in, sports center. So, and they specifically wanted a woman, which was great. Um, and so they, I went in for the interview and I got the job because I had to read something about the Norseca volleyball. And they said, you were the only one that actually said Norseca. Everybody else was like, and the N-O-R-C-E-C-A. <laughs> you know? And so they're like, so, you know, if you want it, the job's yours. And I did it. I was there for three years before I got invited to an audition at ESPN for FC, and oh. went there, got it, and the rest is history, I guess.
0: <laughs> that's really cool. I, I mean, in terms of the move to ESPN, moving to Connecticut, um, what was that like? What, like, in terms of, that's a major move, and I, I would have been freaked out, but, like, I don't know if you were.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... I was and I wasn't. I I had never lived away from home at that point. Like even so obviously in Jamaica, a lot of people or even in the Caribbean, a lot of people tend to think of the US or the UK for, you know, like tertiary education, like for universities or colleges. Um, but even then I was I wasn't ready to like leave home. I was afraid I don't mind hanging with my parents. I know lots of people think it's not cool. I was like, I was not trying to fly that nest. I know it's different because some people think if you reach 18, you set out on a new life, you're an adult. Oh my goodness. I feel like I was a baby at 18 still. (laughs) But at least in in Caribbean culture and in Latin American culture, like you could stay in your house literally until you genuinely are married and then you have to move out. And even then Mm. people still take like a grandparent with them. Um, So it was never, it's never something I felt I needed to do. All of my closest friends went to the US or to here to England for university and college. And I stayed and um, yeah, and I just got my education there. So then when I finally got the job at ESPN and I realized it, I was moving away from home for the first time to completely uncharted territory to the big US, I was, I, it was daunting. But I was ready for it, you know? I was, and I think obviously I had spent that time at home to actually grow, to actually start working in a field that I knew that when I was ready to go to the States to work at ESPN, I was 100% like, no questions asked, this is the right time. So, I mean, it was interesting the, the first couple of months because I, as a Jamaican, moved to Bristol, Connecticut. <laughs> Never seen a drop of snow in my life. And I moved in November. And I remember thinking, Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is, it's gonna be like New York or Miami. I'd been to New York or Miami before. I, I just think that the US is like one giant big city. That's what we think of. <laughs> you know, outside of the world, it's like, oh, Bristol's gonna be like LA. This is gonna be wild. And I literally landed <laughs> at the airport there in Hartford at Bradley. And it was so quiet. It was quieter than Jamaica. And I was like, what is what is this place? (laughs) And it was, I will never forget that cold that hit me. I, because before that I had taken a trip to Florida to try and buy some winter clothes, but how many really good winter clothes are you getting in Florida? So I went up with this like H and M jacket. That was probably about as thick as my jumper anyway. And Oh my goodness. I was frozen. I was, I've never in my life been so cold Um. ever. (laughs) So it was, um, it was it was interesting, but then once you get to ESPN, obviously there's a lot of people that are in similar situations as you, you know, from all over the world. And the way how ESPN is built is like a campus, like an almost another university. Um so I quickly like just you know settled in, I think, with them. They were quick to take me to buy a proper winter coat, <laughs> they were quick to tell me you need to drive with kitty litter in the back of your car in case your car wheels get stuck because it gives it traction it was i had to learn everything the hard way. don't slam your brakes on snow because then you're just gonna go careening down like ice skating um so yeah it was it was interesting a lot of the stuff though i did have to learn just trial and error because i still did slam my brakes one snowstorm and <laughs> jesus wept <laughs> i remember when my car finally came to a stop. i just stayed there for like 40 minutes and called my mom back in jamaica and cried i was like i don't know what to do i'm afraid to drive So it was interesting, but now I feel like a little snow pro, who would have thought?
0: (laughs) So when I got to know you, it was basically over social media and you were living with Antonieta Collins, Tony Collins from ESPN. And I sort of like thought you guys should have a reality show basically, because clearly it it was fun to sort of follow your joint adventures together. and then you moved away to to london we'll get into why you moved to london but like has that been a a difficult thing because you were you were kind of the dynamic duo for many years
1: oh i was absolutely freaking literally Tony's like my right lung. you know like now it's (laughs) it's so funny because how i met tony too so obviously as i said my mom's latin so um we'd always watch univision uh, that's where my mom, she, she'll she watch her news there. Obviously, it's in Spanish, so it's easier for her. And so Tony's mom, as many Latinos will know, is like the Anderson Cooper of Latin America, or at least Mexico. So, um, I mean, she talks to the Pope. She spoke to Obama. Yeah, like she's the main one. And Tony always used to read um, the news, the the sports news as well, before eventually she did move to ESPN. And so I had known because I would always see her reading the news. And I was like, oh, I quite like this girl. Because, you know, you can tell when someone does it, out of love, sometimes you know they just chuck someone that they think looks cute and she's a woman, and it's guys consuming sports major- majority. Um, so but I could tell like she loved it, like the way she added to it. I was like, oh, so that's what stood out to me. And I was watching her for probably like three, four years, and then she moved to ESPN. And um, and then obviously when I moved to ESPN, I remember sh- I saw her in the makeup room and I was like, are you Tony Collins? Because I absolutely like love you. And that's how I literally met her. And she was blown away. She was like, somebody knows me. She's like, usually people just know my mom. <laughs> and she was within her. She was in her first year at ESPN. And she'll tell you this story, too. And she was like, can you say that again? Because. I feel like everyone just knows the big people here. And, you know, that made that was a stroke to my ego. And I was like, of course. And we honestly, that same day, we went out for like at this little Mexican restaurant down the road from ESPN in Southington. And as it was, the rest is literally history. But I mean, definitely Miss Tony. like living with her was, I have four brothers and I always used to beg my mom for a sister. And she was like the sister I never had. And we joke that, you know, you should be going through these, girly funny silly wild adventures living together like when you're in college and here we were doing it you know closer to 30 so (laughs) so everyone's like people are watching they look like they belong in college and here we are as grown-ass women with an actual full-time job but still doing these things like (laughs) but i think that was you know that was good we complimented each other very well she can't cook to save her life she literally asked me once how does she know the water is boiling for her to like cook pasta and i was like you know you don't even know how you don't even know how water looks when it boils i was like (laughs) what on earth and then i absolutely hate cleaning i hate cleaning i'm a bit of like i like vacuuming and that's probably but tony (laughs) loves to clean like it's therapeutic to her just like cooking for me when i'm stressed i cook And people will be like, oh, my God, how did you have time to make all these meals in one? I genuinely love cooking. It relaxes me. But Tony is the opposite. And she so now when we lived together, it was funny how because we got on so well and then she moved to a part of Hartford and I moved down there and I was like five minutes away from her. And then we were always either at each other's houses anyway. So we one night said, you know what? If we're still single when our leases are both up we'll move in together but it's all right we're not going to be single lol that was like a year from now surely we're going to meet prince charming in bristol connecticut well needless to say a year passed and we were still single <laughs> so we said so should we just move in together then so we did mm. and then she had two dogs and her dogs were like best friends with my dogs, Latan. So we all just moved in. It was like a wild Brady bunch, two girls, two crazy dogs, three crazy dogs. And yeah, and that was pretty much it. So to leave, that was the hardest thing to leave her, honestly, because, yeah, she was she became, you know, the sister that I always wanted, you know, and and we just worked so well together. You know, obviously similar experiences, too. Um, And yeah, it was. It was perfect. It was a perfect situation. So I keep waiting for her obviously to come visit, but then pandemic hit. So we'll eventually get there.
0: Nice. Um, So you moved to London. You've been there a little while now. What sort of led to the move from like your bosses, I assume, wanted you to move there? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because we do have um, obviously the ESPN London office. And it was just one of those things that you look at it. We're in pretty much the like the epicenter of the two sports at least that i covered the most which is cricket and football and i mean obviously living in in connecticut it wasn't i mean yes you're doing the fc show and stuff day in day out and like digital stuff but for me obviously while you're still young you're still single that kind of stuff i love on the road stuff i love features like these personality driven chats where you can actually get to know the person and personality behind the name you know and um unfortunately that's just i I wasn't able to do as much of that we would try cram it all in when they would come over for preseason for icc the you know that one and it was it was sad because then summer is done and you're waiting a whole other year again basically just to get to do it again so i think my bosses were just like would you like consider working out of our london office and i was like yes (laughs) absolutely so then they just put the wheels in motion to kind of at least um you know, bring or bridge that connection, you know, to obviously what the guys do in studio because studio life is great for sure. But as a viewer and still as a fan, I like to see when you're there because for so many fans, obviously we are the connection to their athletes, you know, like you think of it, um, people would just be thinking Erling Hollands, like a one word answering like dude, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and not personable until, you know, you at least have us that try and show a different side to him and, And probably ask questions that, you know, you'd think the fans want to ask because at the end of it, I like to think that even though we are journalists and it is our job, we started as fans first, you know, this is obviously a game or sports that we've loved. So, um, yeah, it just kind of like it just made sense. And unfortunately, like I said, COVID impacted. I moved here and I got like a few months before all hell broke loose. So still navigating. But I'm hopeful that, you know, once things start to open up a bit more, we'll be able to travel more and, you know, hopefully bring you know, more of those kind of interviews and 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 features to obviously our consumers, especially stateside and in the Caribbean.
0: So I got into cricket back in 2008, 2009. I was living uh, in Johannesburg for a year and that was the year, and I knew nothing about cricket uh, before that, but like that was the year that the Indian Premier League cricket mm-hmm. tournament, there was like a terrorist event in Mumbai. Yeah. And so they moved it to the league to South Africa and I lived down the street from one of the uh, cricket stadiums in Johannesburg and so I googled one day cricket explained (laughs) and kind of went from there and really got into that Indian Premier League season so you're still covering cricket you're covering football how do you sort of decide how that breaks down when you're going to be covering cricket, when you're going to be covering soccer.
1: Honestly, funnily enough, uh, uh, an easy way of putting it is that work decides for me, (laughs) 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 but still I can never like disconnect one from the other. Like um, obviously football, I think is something that I found on my own and fell in love with slightly more. So on my own, my dad would watch football generally you know, but he didn't say support this team or blah, blah, blah. He would just watch whatever he knew was on and it was good. Whereas cricket is more nostalgic in that way where, um, you know, I, I didn't just fall into it. Like my dad literally would take me to the games, explain it. And then, you know, the West Indies, obviously you can't choose where you're from. So grew up with the trials and tribulations of supporting the West Indies. Um, so I think both of them, I think, are just make me in a sense, you know, because I found my way with football. I found my way to like Man United and then I kind of forced my whole family to like Man United and they just took it on like that. So I think the one of the hard things is that there's never really a cricket season. There's cricket going on year round, you know, but um, usually now I, you mentioned the IPL, I would go to India at least every year. And I cover the IPL for our ESPN Cricket Info stuff, usually there for five weeks you know sometimes but this this and last year obviously is the first year that we've not been able to go obviously because of the pandemic so i suppose that kind of takes away from it like i know i'm not working ipl now um and now it's been suspended because of the crisis going on there um so i'm i'm more so now day to day i would say is definitely football i know at least i cover heavily the west indies obviously being my team and now since i'm here england so when i suppose england or the west indies aren't directly playing then I know I have a bit more focus on the football but um you know usually major events that we do have rights for as well like the cricket world cup we did have so that was a whole summer so I did luckily though that was summer so it didn't really clash with any major football um but I suppose we'll see what happens now because now the t20 world cup is later on this year and it's right around the start of the rest of the seasons, the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, because it's coming up like in October, November. So um, that'll be interesting. We'll see how we juggle that one. But you know what, if work wants to send us to Australia, even though Australia doesn't even want to accept (laughs) their own citizens flying back now, (laughs) I will happily go.
0: (laughs) We are winding down with Alexis Nunez. Really appreciate you taking this much time. Um, I want to ask you a question about, you did a podcast interview recently with our common friend, Melissa Reddy, who's been on this podcast as well uh, after she did her terrific book on Liverpool. Um, And she asked you and you spoke about the challenges of being a woman in media and and what it's like in the industry sometimes and and about things that someone like me as a white guy don't always have to deal with, uh, Mm -hmm. or just as a guy in general. what are some of those challenges and, and how have you addressed them?
1: Honestly, I, I still say this like the
0: first, the number one
1: challenge that you'll I'll still get, at least personally, is just the fact that a lot of people or men can't wrap their head around the fact that women can know as much about a sport, if not more, um, you know, than than just men can. You know, even here you look at Obviously, since the year that I've been here now in the UK, somebody that's really risen in terms of like punditry and hosting in the broadcast here is Alex Scott. And I mean, if you know women's football, her CV speaks for itself. You know, she is a celebrated player for both England and then of course Arsenal. And the backlash that she gets just for sharing an opinion or an analysis from men, it's like they cannot believe it. And you're like, okay, John, who is just, a carpenter from down the road, you're going to tell me that I should trust your opinion more than this woman who has represented club and country and won so many things with club and country because she's a woman, though. It doesn't make sense, you know, because she's got different bits. It doesn't make sense. And I think that that's just the number one thing. Like You hear it all that women obviously have to work twice as hard. I mean, I've been on the set with guys where they will accidentally, you know, when you're reading highlights, they'll accidentally call you know, the wrong name. But accidents happen. We're all humans, you know, and whatever they'll quickly correct themselves, you know, whether they say, oh, well, I was going to say a really hilarious one. I was going to say, oh, Sergio Ramos. Oops, no, it's actually Lionel Messi. And I was like, I don't know if anybody's (laughs) mixing up those two, but (laughs) let's say it's that. Let's say you accidentally call Sergio Ramos, you know, Lionel Messi by accident. Um, and then you just say, oops, no, sorry. I mean, it's messy and carry on. If I ever made that mistake, I would be, oh, the get back in the kitchen. This is why women don't belong in the game, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Go talk about women's football. And it's something that we have in cricket, you know, because even two summers ago during the Cricket World Cup, um, there was a celebrated cricketer basically a legend of the game but much older than say you and I Um, but he's very well known and stuff here and he kind of shared an opinion in his column here that he respected women in the game because they had two um, one of the media houses here had two women who have played for England won the women's world cup with England and they were now part of the commentary panel and they said well um, with the most respect to women of course he likes women in the game and what they've done but they've not played at as a, as a level as good as men. So kind of like a, how can they talk about this? You know, it's, it's still weird that people can't wrap their heads around how women can know the offside rule. That's honestly one of the number one questions I get. Like people go, oh, you like football? And then it's like, a, oh, well, who'd you like? Is it Cristiano Ronaldo? You think he's sexy? And I'm like, no. Or they just assume we think every footballer is someone that I want to marry and be with and it's like no you know I genuinely like the game and I respect them for what they do you know and um I think that's just the thing that I it still baffles me why we're still having to answer yes I know the offside rule well this is what it means it's stuff that you know if you went out and you say oh Grant what do you cover and you say football they'll say oh, okay cool but for me it's like oh really oh well who'd you like now though Oh, I bet you it's like Cristiano Ronaldo, but you think he's cute. All right. Well, explain the offside rule to me. It's funny, too, because I went to a job interview as well at a very well-known media house, which I definitely will not say before ESPN. Um, but when their boss came in to do the final like interview with me, at the end of the day, I did get an offer from them, but I did go with ESPN. Um, that was the first thing he he I, when he said, "Oh, do you like support a football team or anything?" And I said, "Yeah, Manchester United." And he's like, "Oh, really? So who's the manager?" Wow. And I was like, "So who's the manager?" And I, and I told him, and he was just like, "Oh, okay, cool." So um, he's like, "So do you know the offside rule?" And I was like, "Wow, really?" And he was asking me trivial kind of questions, almost like to just test my knowledge, not say a deep question overall. It was like, "Oh, so what color jersey do they wear?" And wow. I was like. Wow. And that, those three were actual questions he did ask me. And I was just sat there like, oh, uh, red, like I was wow. like, which kit? you want? The home kit, away kit, third kit. And I couldn't believe that he was even asking me in a job and just what, you know, color kit they wear. And I know that that's something no man anywhere would ever get. You know, right. they would say, OK, yes, I do watch football. And then they'd start to ask, well, tell me some of the stuff you've covered. Then blah, 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 blah. Not say, oh, so who's the manager? What kit do they wear? wow did you do you know the offside rule off the top of your head and i just sat there and i obviously like went along with it and it was funny because they did offer me a job in the end but i just after that I, by then i had already been turned off because i was like honestly if this is how you're gonna constantly watch me through my throughout my career just to see if i can differentiate between man united's kit and chelsea's kit um just because i'm a woman and clearly
0: <laughs> that's outrageous know. absolutely yeah, outrageous and in and- interesting that a job interview is not just a job interview for you, you learn something about them. And, you know, coming out of that, I'm glad you had multiple options because uh, (laughs) uh, you made a good choice. Um, In terms of the euro, ESPN has the euro. um, I don't want you to speak out of school here, but I assume you're going to be involved to some extent uh, in, in the euro coverage.
1: Obviously, things now have uh, changed because of COVID. And obviously, this had to be the one year or last year was the one year that, you know, they were trying for the multi-city Euro, uh, which sounded like such a great plan. We were like, right. oh, we're going to get to travel all these places, Amsterdam one day, Dublin the next, London the next. Obviously, a lot of that's changed. Um, so thankfully, though, I am here. So I will be going to some of the games, probably not as many as we would have liked because then there involves testing in between and all of that kind of stuff. So still waiting to see, to see the schedules, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely excited, especially knowing that a lot of the games will be here with Wembley. I know one of the teams that I will be following closely is England. And obviously there's a lot of excitement, excitement following England. Now, one of the other teams that, again, because of proximity I'll be following is Scotland too. Um, you know, them being the sweethearts of the tournament, Um, you know, and I got to speak to Andy Robertson and Scott McTominay recently too. And, and, it's I think of Scotland as well as I think of Jamaica. Um, obviously the last time they had some glory was 98 <laughs> and that was the year Jamaica went to the world cup. So it's um, it'll be good to see them because if it's one thing I know about the Scots, obviously, even though I know my co co-host Stevie Nicol and Craig Burley suffer through their performances sometimes, which is very much like me and Jamaica, but they're absolute fighters. They are scrappers and they will fight tooth and nail. And then obviously before I moved here, I knew about the Scotland England rivalry. They say big brother, little brother, that kind of stuff. Um, so now it'll be interesting because I will be doing that game, and to see it firsthand, I'm absolutely like just you know just licking my chops, just thinking that I'll be able to to take it in. And hopefully by then we will get some actual fans in the stadium because um, it would be such a shame, obviously, especially for the Scottish fans to kind of miss out on that occasion. And then of course for the England fans because you know england fans they've always told me when i moved here too that they're the most pessimistic bunch ever <laughs> and it's true they kind of are <laughs> but there's a certain air of excitement that i've ner- i've realized that they don't want to bite into yet but it's there it's there um because why not like you look at that squad and it's spoiled for choice or you look at some people that could probably be left out but don't want to jinx anything and you're like what if they want to like come play for jamaica then they can <laughs> then please come <laughs> if england don't want you we will happily take you
0: <laughs> Oh shoot alexis nunez is a fixture on espn soccer and cricket coverage alexis thank you so much for coming on the show no thank you for having me that was such a blast thanks for listening to football with grant wall i'd like to thank alexis nunez as well as producer chris whittingham If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.